The nuclear crisis in Japan. What are the risks and what are the precautions? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm speaking today with Regina Phelps, a noted expert in business continuity and disaster recovery. Regina, thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome, Tom. Pleasure to be with you. Set our baseline here, Regina. With, with the radiation leakage happening in Japan, who truly is at risk? It's a great question, and certainly when you look at the media uh, over the last couple of days, you'll see that, oh my goodness, there's a lot about radiation that's in the news. Who really is at risk in Japan is truly those individuals that are on the front lines working in that facility in an effort to stop it from melting down. Those around the facility in an immediate proximity are also at risk. But then when you look at a 50-mile radius around the plant, those individuals are the ones that should be taking some precautions. Well, Regina, a couple questions. First of all, what's considered an immediate vicinity? And then second, of what are individuals at risk of? Great question. Immediate vicinity really is a one-kilometer radius around that plant. So individuals who are for, uh, involved in rescue efforts, in working with that plant in its efforts for stop and meltdown, those are the folks that are really at risk. When you look at what they are at risk of, there is a syndrome, of course, called acute radiation sickness, and individuals who are exposed to an extensive amount of radiation do have the possibility, of course, of having that syndrome, which is called acute radiation syndrome. Where we've seen that historically over time has really been, of course, with the um, atomic bombs that occurred over Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and then, of course, we also saw it at a more contemporary time when Chernobyl melted down in 1986. Regina, a pair of related questions for you. First of all, how should individuals respond to the risks? Great question. Of course, uh, in Japan, those people within that 50-mile radius around those plants more than likely will start taking uh, potassium iodine for that um, exposure to potential radioactive iodine. Those of us in the United States need to take a very deep breath, be calm. Uh, our chance of exposure to radioactive iodine in the air and breathing it into our lungs, affecting our thyroid, which is, by the way, what potassium iodide helps protect is only your thyroid. Uh, the chances of that happening are infinitesimal. And, of course, I was slightly amused, not surprised, but amused to see already that you cannot find potassium iodine anywhere in the United States. Well, how about for countries in the immediate area around Japan? Are their risks elevated? Their risks might be somewhat elevated, but again, when you look at air and how it moves around the globe, the general rule for most um, exposures is your greatest chance of exposure is in that 50-mile radius. And I think of those of us in the United States, if we're trying to find a way that we can incorporate this knowledge or learning into our own life, I would suggest that any of your listeners who happen to live near a nuclear power plant, and I would say that's a 50-mile radius, they should think about their own personal uh, family preparedness and what they would do if something happened in an emergency here in the United States. Well, let's talk about how organizations should respond. And I'm thinking of those that could be financial institutions, government agencies, healthcare organizations that are in the vicinity of the plants that are affected. Sure, it's a great question. And I think the, the first, uh, we're over our first response phase of this uh, emergency as far as uh, businesses in Japan, meaning that most organizations now, uh, and certainly Tokyo and around the areas affected like Sendai, have gotten their arms around uh, being able to deal with response issues, which is finding employees, 
dealing with those immediate urgent issues. For those that are not in the heavily impacted areas, meaning that they're not in the areas that were devastated by the tsunami, now what uh, companies need to be thinking about is really what what can I do to continue my business based on the supply chain disruption issues in Japan? Of course, already we're seeing widespread food shortages, electric shortages. They're already doing rolling blackouts in nine prefectures in Japan. So the question that any business needs to think about is, do I need to offshore or move out of Japan some mission-critical activities so they can continue? So I would ask uh, any of your listeners to really look at that. Now, also, they should be very careful to consider the regulations. In banking in particular in Japan, you cannot just pull off many of those processes that might be done there. They need to work very closely with Japanese regulators to ensure that they can indeed move or offshore activities that are currently being done in Japan and not violate any regulatory issues. For those of us outside of Japan, what are the lessons that we've learned so far from how we've seen this crisis unfold and how it's been handled? You know, one of the things that I think that's really important to reflect on immediately is really how incredibly well prepared Japan is. Now, you may watch the television and think, oh my gosh, look at all of those horrible things that, going, that are going on. But if you stop and reflect about an earthquake that's been rated 8.9, or as they rated it in Japan, 9.0, one of the largest earthquakes ever in the world, literally 80 miles offshore of a major um, uh, city, if that would have happened in the United States, if that happened in California, for example, our response, our ability to recover would be nowhere near what Japan has been able to demonstrate. Japanese citizens are incredibly well prepared. They go through drills on a monthly basis in most communities. People have all the supplies that they need at home. So I think the first thing that we can really take from this is I hope that all of us throughout the United States really look at this and say, what am I doing in my community, in my family, in my business to be better prepared? Uh, and that would, is a critical thing. So first of all, I think the issue of home preparedness and the fact that, again, even though Japan is so well prepared, um, my goodness, they're still struggling, and, and that's to be expected given the, the magnitude of the event. I think the second thing right behind that is that to realize that even when a, a country like Japan is so well prepared, that still we have a lot of responsibility. So I would really encourage your listeners to take an opportunity to really look at their business continuity plans, their disaster recovery plans, and say, if something even on you know, 25% of what happened to Japan happened to us, could we recover? And I think that there's four or five big areas that your that your um, listeners should really focus on. Really, the idea of people and people emergencies. So really focusing on emergency uh, procedures for your offices, looking at training that it's appropriate for your staff, and also drills. So whether that's an earthquake drill or a fire drill or a tornado drill, would all be really important to emphasize now because people are riveted on this, and it's a great opportunity to really exploit in a good way uh, people's anxiety about this and have them become a little bit more concerned. I think they also need to really look at their mission critical processes and what needs to be done in that short term period, the first 24, 48, 72 hours, and then, uh, you know, looking forward into to weeks and then in the first 30 days. Really looking at their technology and making sure that they are uh, have it be adequate backup and recovery solutions to meet those mission critical processes. 
and also to look from a perspective of their facility and making sure that if there's a thing that they could do now, today, that could mitigate something, for example, if you're in an earthquake area, could you make sure that every one of your servers are, are very secured so they would not topple over and be damaged in any kind of shaking? That's called mitigation, and that's certainly something you can do in every facility is walk the area and what can you do to mitigate something. And then lastly, look at communication-related issues in the area of making sure that you have uh, current telephone contact information, personal emails, mobile phone numbers for your employees, and also your vendors so that when something happens, you're able to actually reach out to them and communicate in a timely manner. Final question for you, Regina. What can you, do you expect we'll see next in this crisis? And for organizations and individuals that do want to lend help, what can they do? That's a great question. Um, this has just started, uh, and I know it feels like it's been going on forever already, but um, we have just begun this story. I think what we're going to see uh, in business around the world is more supply chain disruptions. And so I think every organization around the world that uses anything is going to have to really seriously look at what the supply chain issues might be. It's not just semiconductors and those people that are involved in the manufacturing of computers. It really is every type of aspect. So looking at supply chain disruptions and seeing how that might impact us. I think the other thing that's going to happen, of course, is that Japan is the third largest economy in the world. It started with the U.S., China being the second, Japan being the third. They also have one of the largest debts, uh, over almost $7.5 trillion. So um, there is very likely to be some economic impacts as this begins to unfold over time. So I think we need to really consider that in our planning going forward. As far as what people can do, there are many, many great uh, resources that they should look out to. And I think looking at either the Red Cross, Oxfam, different support groups uh, in Japan that are doing great work, and really looking at the Japan sources as to where the need might be the greatest and how we might be able to support them. And I would really encourage all of us to remember that this disaster will take Japan years to get over, and it will you know, quickly fade from the news and to remember that our colleagues over there deserve our support and will need it for some period of time. Regina, as always, I thank you for your time and your insight today. You're welcome, Tom. We've been talking about the crisis in Japan. We've been talking with Regina Phelps. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.